0: With Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We are live on AMP. Don't forget. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on our podcast feeds, that Amp is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. So the Los Angeles Lakers decided, shockingly, to play LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the tail end of a back-to-back, but they showed up to the arena and didn't bring their games with them until the second half, and unfortunately, they dug themselves in way too big of a hole. The Clippers notch a very important win for seeding in the Western uh, Conference, putting them in the pole position to get that five seed and end up in a matchup with the Phoenix Suns in the first round. And suddenly the Lakers are looking at potentially a trip through the play-in tournament, which always carries a certain amount of risk. And then we're also going to touch on the uh, Dallas Mavericks, down 13 in the second half against the Sacramento Kings team that also kind of surprisingly played all their guys. And they ended up notching a huge win uh, on the strength of an improved defensive effort in the third quarter and Kyrie Irving and some shot-making heroics in the fourth quarter. So we're going to dive into both those games and all the ramifications. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So there was a very specific reason why I thought LeBron James and Anthony Davis should play uh, in this particular game. I I don't believe in playing with fate. I mean, the Warriors were playing damn good basketball in 2021 going into the playing tournament. Very similar to this Lakers team. They finally ditched playing specific lineups that were giving them problems. They went back to their core, Draymond at the five, and, and had a ton of success and won 15 of their last 20 games, uh, getting healthy, going into that playoff run after kind of a bizarre Steph Curry tailbone injury put them into a predicament in the standings. And... You know, everyone would have thought the Warriors were the most dangerous team going into that tournament. The Lakers kind of limped into that tournament. LeBron had just barely got returned to the court. Anthony Davis had just barely returned to the court. But here's the thing. It was a wild, crazy game, and LeBron ended up hitting a three to win it. And then all of a sudden, they're in this do-or-die game against Memphis, who's just a big, physically imposing team. And next thing you know, the Warriors are home on their couch That's the risk of the play-in tournament, even though the Warriors were arguably the best team in that play-in tournament. But that's just, you know, single-game sample sizes, crazy things can happen. You just saw that in the NCAA tournament. Too much shooting variance, especially in the modern NBA, with the way that teams rely on ball handling and shooting, there's just a lot of risk. And I thought LeBron and Anthony Davis were uniquely equipped to win this game against the Clippers. I do not think the Clippers are very good. Um, I took them off of my uh, top tier of contenders. I took them off of my teams that I believed could win a championship. I had eight teams. I shrunk it to seven and took the clippers off of there. couple couple reasons. They have no real rim protection. That was a problem. Paul George being out, obviously a significant issue for them in shot creation. And they just, especially with the aging of that roster and a lot of their perimeter players not being overly quick. They've got a lot of wings, but guys, that can't really move their feet very well. Their wings more in name only rather than in actual performance. And, you know, I just don't really think the Clippers are that good, even with as well as Kawhi Leonard has been playing and even with the natural basketball fit of Russell Westbrook. and And I just thought the Lakers could win this game. I thought if LeBron James and Anthony Davis played, even with fatigue, that if they brought the necessary effort, they could win. And they just completely and utterly, totally mailed in the first half of this game. LeBron James played literally what I believe to be the worst half of basketball he's ever played. He had three points, four turnovers. All four of his turnovers were pick sixes that immediately led to buckets on the other end uh, for the Clippers. From a schematic standpoint, there was a very specific thing that happened to the Lakers that happens to the Lakers every once in a while. The Lakers are one of the best-equipped teams to beat switching defenses. Why? Because when when you can beat switching defenses at the rim versus through pull-up shooting – You're going to win those battles more times than not because it's just higher percentage shots around the rim. And when you can get switched onto smaller defenders and back them down into the basket, and now you're either finishing at the rim over smaller defenders or kicking to wide open shooters as they're having to double and swarm you around the rim, you can have a lot of success against switching defenses as the Lakers. But it requires... LeBron James and Anthony Davis attacking those switches with physicality and trying to get to the rim, which requires effort. Those of you guys who remember the game that LeBron hurt his foot in, the game where he kind of popped his foot, finished the game, dominated the Dallas Mavericks in the post, and then ended up taking a month off. If you guys remember, in that game, it was a very similar dynamic. Dallas came out switching a ton of screens, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis refused to actively attack those switches at the rim. Instead, they passed out of those switches and lesser players tried to take shots. Very similar dynamic in this game. The Clippers were constantly putting smaller defenders onto LeBron James and he would not back them down to the post. He was just trying to float through the game, hoping that the strength of the roster would win, and that's just never going to be the case. And so that's why I was super disappointed because, again, like look, the, the, the Clippers won this game and I want to give them a ton of credit. They attacked the Lakers from the opening tip, immediately came out to a big lead. Russell Westbrook was playing with a ton of energy as you would have expected in this situation. And Norman Powell was fantastic. He was arguably the best player on the floor in this game. And they had a lot of good, but the reality is, it's like I said earlier, I don't really view the Clippers as much of a threat, and I think this is a team that without Paul George and with some of the other weaknesses on the roster, that the Lakers can beat when they play. And that was what was frustrating. You saw that in the second half. Suddenly LeBron's like, okay, now I'll start trying. And the Lakers locked in defensively. They were ignoring Russell Westbrook, and he started to miss those same shots that he made in the first half. Anthony Davis lingering around the rim on Zubak. They were able to press up with Jared Vanderbilt onto Kawhi Leonard and kind of get the ball out of his hands. There was a late run in the third quarter where LeBron switched onto Kawhi and had some success defending him in individual defense, and they went on a massive run and turned a 24-point lead into a 7-point lead in a matter of minutes. And it just didn't matter because they had dug themselves in too big of a hole. And and that's what was so frustrating. I, I really genuinely felt like the Lakers were in a good position to win this game, and they mailed it in. And what, what's annoying about that is the only purpose to playing LeBron James and Anthony Davis, because there was risk. There was enormous risk. They're older. LeBron's older. They're both dealing with injuries. By playing them, you actively risk their bodies. But it was a risk-reward factor. You're better than the Clippers. Go beat the Clippers. Then you get a week off. Because then you probably get to rest against the Jazz and you could take Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and maybe even Saturday off. That was the trade-off. But if you were going to mail it in, now you're taking all the risk on the body without any of the advantage down the line. And now they might have taken that risk in this Clippers game only to have to play in the play-in tournament anyway if they can't go beat Phoenix on Friday and beat the Jazz on Sunday. LeBron James, after he checked out of the game there in the late fourth quarter, he went down and he sat down next to Anthony Davis, and you can visibly see him multiple times say, that's my fault. And he's right. Again, he's the leader of the team, and it's. I don't just blame LeBron. I thought Anthony Davis also wasn't overly physically engaged in that first half. The Clippers double-teamed him on almost every catch. Uh, Ty Lu. Uh, I thought had a really good game plan in this particular game, the way he doubled uh, Anthony Davis on his face side. We talked about this a lot. Double Anthony Davis in the face. He won't beat your defense by making the kill pass. He'll just make that quick pass right back out to the wing, and he did that a lot. D'Angelo Russell would make the post entry. They'd trap him and double him on his face. He'd just kick it back out to D'Lo, and there's no advantage, right? Meanwhile, Austin Reeves is standing completely unguarded in the weak side corner, and if Anthony Davis handles the double with strength and makes that pass, he can beat the double team. We talked about that, like the difference between kind of sneaking and doubling Anthony Davis from behind and the way he can kill that versus doubling Anthony Davis from the front and the way that he can really struggle with that. Also, uh, Ty Lue made a really smart adjustment going completely away from Russell Westbrook in the second half. Russell Westbrook came out guns blazing in that first quarter, started four for seven, had some assists, but then he started turning the basketball over. Then he started missing all those same shots because he's not a very good jump shooter. Russell Westbrook was actually a minus one in this game. and was a big part of the run that the Lakers went on in the third quarter. Uh, Ty Lue went away from him, went to Norman Powell, didn't go back to Russ the rest of the game. It's a very well-coached game, solid win for Ty Lue. But again, if the Lakers approach that with the requisite effort, energy, and focus to start the game, they are a better basketball team than the Clippers. I feel very strongly about that. I know some of y'all might not not agree, but I feel very strongly about that. And they mailed this one in, and and it's really unfortunate. I do want to talk about one basketball thing, that I thought was glaring from this particular game, and that was the Lakers' point-of-attack defense. Because they go on this massive run right in the third quarter, they cut it down to seven or eight points or whatever it was, and then Norman Powell comes into the game and just starts obliterating the Lakers' defense at the point-of-attack. Now, when we talk about point-of-attack defense, that has to do with stopping dribble penetration. And there's two different ways to do that, because it's in pick-and-roll or an iso. And ISO, more frequently, you'll see it in semi-transition. A lot of Laker missed shots would lead to Norman Powell dribbling the ball up the floor and then just hitting the Jets and beating someone off the dribble, right? Uh, But it's in individual defense, point-of-attack defense is sliding your feet and flattening out drives, right? You're not going to completely contain the ball, but if you can force it to be a diagonal route that kind of cuts through the paint but kind of goes back out to the perimeter – that's great defense, but if it's a straight-line drive and they get ahead of steam going downhill, you're going to engage Anthony Davis at the rim, which is going to cause all sorts of havoc on the backside, whether that's kicking the shooters. Zubac killed them on the offensive glass in this game, and usually he kills Anthony Davis by burying him in position battles. That wasn't the case in this game. He killed the Lakers on the glass in large part because of Anthony Davis getting pulled away from the rim in rim protection situations because of dribble drives. And then the second part of it is in pick and roll, and it's about fighting over the top of screens with physicality once again so guys can't get completely downhill. The Lakers had a horrible point of attack defense in this game, and the reality is, as we look closer at it, that's their one big weakness. I talked a lot about how after the deadline, we have to learn about the Lakers from scratch. They're effectively a brand new team. Still to this day, I see people on Twitter complaining, oh, why are the Lakers getting so much attention? Why are the Lakers getting so much attention? They're a different team now. So whatever you thought over the previous year and a half about what they could and could not do – is completely irrelevant anymore. They have the, the coming into tonight, tonight. They had the second best record in the league post deadline. They were seven and one when LeBron James played. Seven and one in their last eight games. Best defense in the league and a top five rebounding team. And they had two guys uh, like coming in this back to back. LeBron James played at a top ten level, and then Anthony Davis has been playing at a top ten level for over a month now. They are a legitimate bona fide championship contender. That's why they're getting talked about. And yes, also they're the Lakers and they get a lot of attention, obviously. But they're playing at an extremely high level. But in this stretch, I've been trying to learn about them. And there's been a lot of good. Jared Vanderbilt and what he can do defensively. Rui Hachimura is kind of a mix-up that can guard some of the bigger forwards and a better offensive option. The offensive skill in the backcourt and the different punches that Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder can throw. The dynamic of LeBron James and Anthony Davis that we've been seeing for years and what they can do when they're both engaged on both ends of the floor. Tons of good. But there's one thing that has stood out bad to me from the beginning. They have one guy on the roster at the guard position, that can consistently stay in front of the basketball, and that's Dennis Schroeder. And he had a pretty rough night tonight. But D'Angelo Russell, not a good point of attack defender. Austin Reeves, average at best point of attack defender. Malik Beasley, not a good point of attack defender. Troy Brown Jr., not a good point of attack defender. And so they're constantly giving up these driving lanes, and it's blowing up their defense and causing them all sorts of problems. Now, to be clear, every team has weaknesses, the Milwaukee Bucks, they really struggle with half-court shot-making, so they're not a very good half-court offense. That issue gets exacerbated for them in the playoffs when teams are allowed to be more physical with Giannis. We've seen that time and time again. We saw that big-time hurt them in the Boston Celtics series whenever they couldn't get out in transition. The Boston Celtics still, to this day, struggle with decision-making and execution. Decision-making in the flow of the game, then making good rim decisions, They have a lot of guys that are capable of making good decisions, but too frequently the entire team loses sight of the right way to play and they can spiral into a really negative direction and then they can really struggle with execution at the end of games from time to time, although they've had a better season than they did last year. The Sixers, just like the Lakers, really bad at the point of attack and bad in transition defense. The Nuggets. Bad defensive personnel at every single level. The Suns extremely thin on the wing, and they're bad at the point of attack. Josh Koji's is really their own, only their their only good point of attack defender. The Warriors they are an incredibly small and unathletic team compared to the rest of the league. And then the Lakers, like we've been talking about, bad point of attack defense, and they also can struggle in transition. So it's not a death sentence. It's not a death sentence because all of these teams have weaknesses. We haven't had a perfect team in the NBA really since the uh, since the Warriors in two thousand seventeen and two thousand eighteen. Right, all these teams have weaknesses. You go down the line, you know the the two thousand nineteen Raptors not a great playmaking team. The two thousand twenty Lakers had a, were a really poor three point shooting and half court offense team. Twenty twenty one Bucks poor three point shooting and half court offense team. You get the drill. You can win a title with a weakness, but you have to have your strengths overcome that weakness. And when you mail it in, and dig yourself in that big of a hole, you're going to run into that problem. It's hard to overstate how much the simple dynamic of the Lakers being incapable of containing Norman Powell on the drive in that third quarter ruined their comeback because they had they had complete control of that game. They had solved Kawhi, they had uh uh, uh they had pressured the shooters enough to get them to start missing shots. They they had a lot of stuff figured out except for the simple fact that they couldn't guard Norman Powell. And then guess what? In comes Bowen's Highland, and he starts causing them the same exact problems in pick and roll, getting downhill too easily, and knocking down shots and layups uh, uh, as he gets downhill towards the rim. So again, they can overcome it. It's not a death sentence, but that's their weakness. If the Lakers end up losing a playoff series, I believe it will in large part come down to their guards and their inability to contain the basketball. And that's where matchups become an issue, right? As we're starting to look... At, uh, at specific teams that they might have to play. You know, if they end up in that sixth seed, that's a big point of attack team. That's a lot of Deer and, fa- uh, deer and Fox attacking you downhill. That's, a, that's a, a, a lot of Malik Monk attacking you downhill. That's something that they're going to have to deal with, right? So it's something to keep an eye on with them. I, as, as is always the case with basketball, matchups end up determining everything. And if you end up catching a matchup where your strengths aren't as strong as they usually are and your weaknesses are on display and can get attacked, you can end up in a lot of trouble in a seven-game series. Last note on the Lakers before we move on. um, If I wanted to go glass half full... Their defense was frightening in that third quarter with Anthony Davis on the floor. Again, they bought a lot of leeway in the point of attack when they're with their starting groups, right? Because with LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Jared Vanderbilt on the floor, they're so long and athletic and have such a high basketball IQ on that back line that even if the guards are having problems, they can contain that all. That is why the Lakers have the number one defense post-deadline despite having a bad point of attack defense. They're excellent everywhere else defensively. They're excellent on the wing defensively, and they're an excellent rim protection team with good help defenders. So they're going to, they're going to still be an effective defense, but that point of attack thing is going to become an issue. The other big positive, once again, LeBron James in that second half, I thought looked fantastic after what was the worst half that I've seen him play in ages. In the first half, he was knocking down, uh, uh, jump shots all over the floor. He was, bullying all of the Clippers players to the rim. You saw that dynamic, like, again, against switching defenses, just attack the rim. That's literally all you have to do. You're bigger, you're stronger, you're more athletic. You're going to cause them a boatload of problems there. It was just too little too late. They didn't get into that until late in the game. But LeBron does look good. I'm still optimistic about the Lakers. I'm just genuinely disappointed that having made the decision to put their bodies on the line tonight, they didn't actually bring the effort to make that worthwhile. Uh, but shout out to the Clippers—they wanted their revenge game. You know that they've dominated this matchup for a long time. There's no rivalry between the Lakers and the Clippers because the Clippers just whoop the Lakers' ass every single time. I genuinely believe the Lakers are a better team now, post deadline. But they need to demonstrate that on the court. You want to flip the script with your rivalry with the Clippers? Go beat them. You're better than them. Go beat them. So maybe, maybe don't just float through a basketball game and and put yourself in a position where you're going to lose. Um, but the, I mean, the Clippers are destined for a first round exit against Phoenix. They just, they just don't have enough advantages in that series. Uh, good on them for, for winning this battle for the five seed. I'm impressed, um, with their competitiveness and their want and fire to get this done, but they're, they're headed for a a quick loss in that first round series, in my opinion. Also, I mean, I, I, I talked a lot about bad Lakers in this one. I want to cut them some slack. Kawhi Leonard played 24 minutes in that second half. He did so because he hasn't played since Saturday, okay? The Lakers have played, what that was, I believe, their fifth game in seven nights or fifth game in eight nights, I believe. So it's been a different level of physical exertion for the Lakers. That certainly played a role, but that's how much better I think the Lakers are than the Clippers. I think they're so much better than the Clippers that if they actually brought even just a portion of effort with all that fatigue, they should have been able to beat them. All right, let's move on to Kings-Mavs. So this was looking like trouble for the Mavericks in that early second half. The uh, Once again, the Kings in a game you wouldn't have thought so on the tail end of a back-to-back this late in the season. The Kings beat the crap out of the Pelicans last night. You would have expected them to rest their guys tonight. Nope, played everybody, and tried to beat the Mavs. And they were up 13 in the second half, and it was this close to looking like they were going to let go of the rope. But honestly, I was really impressed, especially, like, the story of this game is Kyrie Irving in the fourth quarter, his shot-making, bombing threes, that super crazy high-arcing three in the left corner right in front of the Kings bench. Obviously, Kyrie's fantastic. We're going to talk about him here in just a minute. But I thought the game turned in that third quarter on the defensive end of the floor. If They just swarmed on the basketball. They Every time uh, Demonis Sabonis caught the ball in the post, they just swarmed him. And did a good job of flipping the angles that they were double teaming from. Because Sabonis is such a smart player. He always has a feel for where the doubles are coming from. Sabonis so was confused. He was constantly looking around, trying to identify where the ball, where the doubles were coming from. He was getting the ball knocked loose, or he wasn't putting the passes on time, on target. And then, you know, you saw some of that back to back affecting their legs as well, when they just couldn't knock down the open threes that they were generating. Dead giveaway for fatigue on wide open threes, is hitting the front rim. And you'd see Kevin Herter hit the front rim on a shot. You'd see Davion Mitchell hit the front rim on a shot. You'd see Keegan Murray hit the front rim. Right. That's that's always the dead giveaway. They ended up shooting just 32% from three in the game. And then Kyrie Irving, just an absolute uh, masterclass in that fourth quarter, 19 points. You know, I saw once again uh, people talking about The Kyrie Irving trade. And again, there's always a difference between the trade and the player. I, I came into the same issue with the Russell Westbrook thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Russell Westbrook and his struggles certainly exacerbated some problems for the Lakers because he couldn't bring a certain level of talent to overcome the talent that went out. But it was the outgoing talent that damaged the Lakers. Just, it's it's plain and simple. It was the loss of Kuzma, the loss of KCP, the loss of Alex Caruso that undercut the Lakers to the point where they couldn't uh, uh, even hover around 500 with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor. That was the biggest problem. Similar thing with the Mavs. Has nothing to do with Kyrie Irving. Just like how the you take Andrew Wiggins off the Warriors, suddenly they become an untenable small and unathletic team. Right? You take Dorian Finney-Smith off of the Mavericks, they – Overnight, become an untenable, unathletic, and undersized team. It's just a fact. And, you know, I get I, the one thing I want to point out here Kyrie Irving has been fantastic since coming to the MAPS. He's been undeniably their best player. He has resoundingly outplayed Luka since coming to the MAPS. He has played like a bona fide superstar, and I'd argue he's been their best defender on the perimeter since coming to the Mavs in the games that I've watched. And you see it in the numbers. They they have been outscoring teams resoundingly with Kyrie Irving on the floor since the trade and just getting bludgeoned every time he's off the floor. He's won three games for the Mavs without Luka entirely. Kyrie has played like a bona fide superstar and has done everything that he's been asked to do since coming to the Mavericks. So if you're telling their story, you talk about ownership. You talk about the front office. Mark Cuban had this lame-ass quote that he put out today, basically saying that he blamed Jalen Brunson's f- uh, parents for the fact that he didn't sign with them. No. You tried to pay him, like, $20 million a year when he is a bona fide all-star guard that even the Knicks got for a discount at the, whatever it was, $25 million a year average. Like, in the NBA... If you do what uh, Jalen Brunson can do, you're worth thirty million. End of story. Ask, you know, uh, ask Jamal Murray. Jalen Brunson is every bit as good as Jamal Murray, if not better. And, and and Jamal Murray's making thirty plus million a year. No matter what, you you make you sign him because you can trade him. Losing the asset for nothing was completely inexcusable. That was step one in their demise. And then obviously they gave up a ton of assets for Chris Epps Porzingis. There's been other mistakes along the way. But that Jalen Brunson one was a gigantic mistake. And then as a result, you had to go get a replacement for Brunson and in the process give up give up your best athlete and your best perimeter defender who also can knock down a three-point shot when he's wide open. That's what did them in. But I mean like the 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 Kyrie fit is perfect. Luka obviously has a lot to 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 kind of look back at after this season in terms of his attitude, in terms of his defensive approach, in terms of the way he cares for his body. There's a bunch of stuff that Luka's got to evaluate after the season cuz he's plateauing. Luka is plateauing for sure as a player. There's stuff that he's got to figure out. But the Luka Kyrie partnership is perfect basketball fit. And you've seen that offensively, with how well this team can score the basketball with the two of them on the floor, they all they have to do is supply, supply them with the requisite size and athleticism in the front court. This year's pointless. I mean, they're they're not completely out of it. They've got a tough game against the Bulls coming up, I think on Friday. And then they play the Spurs. So you've got to find a way to beat the Bulls. Um, And then Oklahoma City has Utah and Memphis. So you've got to beat the Bulls and then beat the Spurs. And then you need OKC to lose to at least one of Utah and Memphis for them to get in. But even if they do get in, they get in as the 10 seed, then you run into the issue where you've got to go on the road in the playoffs against either Minnesota or New Orleans, which is going to be two teams that are going to have massive physical advantages over Dallas. So it doesn't really bode well for them there either. But I I am not down on the Mavericks long-term because they have two of the best offensive players in the league and a straightforward path to fix this roster. But make no mistake, they are in this predicament because of Mark Cuban, and they are in this predicament because of the front office. It is not because of Kyrie Irving. And if you're blaming Kyrie, it's because of some other narrative goal that you have. He's been so freaking good since coming to the Mavs. Ask any Mavs fan, anybody who's actually watching that team, do you blame Kyrie? You won't find a single one. Because he's he's held up his end of the bargain. All right, guys. That is all I have for tonight. The game plan as of right now, we're taking tomorrow off. Uh, we're going to be back with Friday, uh, on uh, uh, on Friday with Carson to kind of break down a bunch of scenarios going into the weekend. And then, um, if I'm not mistaken, we're going Saturday morning covering the Friday night slate. And then on Sunday afternoon, we're, we're not 100% sure exactly what we're doing, but we're going to do some kind of live show after the end of the slate on Sunday. I believe all the games end at about 3 p.m. Pacific time, so keep an eye on that. Don't, uh, Don't forget to follow me on Twitter to get show announcements, just so you guys know when it's coming. But yes, I appreciate you guys so much, and I will see you guys on Friday morning.